forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and picky eater. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I used to collect rocks. What kind of rocks? All kinds. I think you've said picky eater before, Fuck. maybe. Fuck. It doesn't matter. Keep it. No, no, no. Oh, my God. I didn't expect that reaction. Oh, Are you okay? God. Oh, God. Oh, no. I can't oh, believe cancel it. Cancel the whole show. Listen, I, I should oh. fire myself. Fired. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. I think I just run out of ways to define myself. That is an existential crisis. I know. My dude. I know. It's overwhelming. (laughs) I just was thinking about things that you used to collect when you were younger. Like I used to collect rocks, but it's like, what, why? And like, what did I think? I don't know. Like I, I collected like those little amethyst nice ones, but then I would also just like pick a rock off, like off the street and be like, this is part of my collection now. I think that's nice. I think it's nice whenever anyone likes something or has an interest. Totally. But I wonder, like, being so attached to... Mal and I were talking about this. As a kid, were you really attached to inanimate objects? I don't know. I know I've always been very obsessed with animals. And I went through a phase where I called everything, I believe, Martin. And I think I had had an an aunt named Martin. And I... (laughs) What do you mean an ant? Like a little, oh, I don't mean to upset you, but like a little bug ant that I like fed and was like, this is Martin. I don't know. Not a living, wait, not a living ant. Yes, like a little A-N-T, like a little bug. But was it alive? I think I like found it outside and gave it like a piece of lettuce. I don't know. And I like named it Martin. I'll have to fact check with my mom. How did you, I'm sorry, hold on. How did you find the same ant every day? I didn't. What are you talking about? I just would sometimes, I think I just one day found an ant named it Martin and was like my pet for the day. Oh, one day. This was one day. Yeah. But then I think I was in a phase where I was like referring to everything as Martin. I don't know. I also, I've always named things really weird things. Like I went to the Vermont teddy bear factory and I got this stuffed animal that I loved for years and I still have and I named it Bob Fred. <laughs> as like a dual name or like That's the, Fred full, was the his official middle name. name is just bob fred <laughs> like you would never ever call it bob or fred it was bob fred <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> that's incredible i had no uh, imagination i my bear was named teddy my like pillow was named Pillow. Like I had no, there was nothing like Martin the ant or <laughs> Bob Fred the bear for me. Like none of that. I also had a stuffed dog that was named Puppy. So it was a mix. Yeah. Not everything yeah. was a was a Bob Fred creation. My dog when I was born or was growing up just was called Baby, which I, I sort of. That's so cute. Isn't that cute? Yeah. yeah. I sort of liked it because it was like, I you know what I was thinking about like, Mal's uh, sister is pregnant and I'm always like, I wonder if if you I try to ask like the niece, like, what do you want your sister to be named? You know, but she doesn't really have like a full 
grasp of it. But I think it would be fun if you were like, if she was like five or something to be like, what do you, what name do you like? And then see what she says. Oh my God. But they would lord it over the younger sibling forever. Be like, I named you. Oh, for sure. I mean, my sister, I was four, three and a half. And they were like, what do you want to name her? And I named her Baby Shoe Pop. (laughs) I thought her name should be Shoe Pop. So you do have an imagination. I don't know where it came from. (laughs) Well, you know what? And Cheyenne, not far off from Shoe Pop. Honestly, I probably Mm. gave him a little bit of a starting (laughs) starting point. It's a good point. (laughs) Well, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. What did your parents call you when you were a fetus? Like a bump? I, I don't know. They didn't, ha- they didn't have like a name for you? I don't think so. Uh, like my parents called me Bud when I was like in the stomach till I came out. Yeah. The, the story of my name was really boring where like one of them narrowed it down to like three names and the other one was like fine Allison <laughs> that was it what were the other two <sighs> I feel like maybe Hannah I don't know yeah I, I'm not sure what the other two were I told you that I found that paper with the names that my mom was gonna name me and it was like Gabrielle Jacqueline like Genevieve Laura Houston <laughs> really dodged Houston. that bullet Houston was on the list we have a problem all right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this week we're going to be asking Kayla Weisbuck some tough questions all about Camp Brave Trails, which is a camp for LGBTQ youth. I'm very excited. I cry three times in the interview. <laughs> and later we'll be talking all about boredom and the effect it might have on us, which is negative. <laughs> 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 See if you guys listening can tell in what order we record the episodes. This is uh, the, our second one of the day, and we are loopy. But look, we are professionals first and foremost, <laughs> and that means sure. we've got to answer a listener's question. So we all know what that means. Hit it. International question. International question. International question. Anonymous. New York. Do you like that like kind of thrill I added to anonymous? Yes, I like it. it Intriguing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anonymous says, hello, Gabby and Allison. I love your podcast and admire the way the two of you have really grown into yourselves in recent years. My boyfriend and I have been together for four years. We have a loving, committed relationship and pride ourselves on how openly we communicate. Unfortunately, the pandemic has served as an eye-opener for some fundamental differences in our upbringings and perspectives. Although my boyfriend is very cautious about COVID, takes masking seriously, works from home, and avoids eating out or participating in riskier activities, he remains unvaccinated, as does all of his nuclear family. I am 25 with a background in biology, working in healthcare, and personally value vaccination as incredibly important. As we've talked about this, it's come to my attention that my boyfriend was raised in a household that feared vaccination, only receiving those necessary to attend public school and idolize alternative medicine. I'm sad to watch how stressed it makes him to see how much his friends and coworkers disapprove of his choices, despite understanding that common falsities like vaccines cause autism are just that false. It seems like he still carries some irrational fear from his childhood, although he's working on it, having honest and respectful conversations with me coming with me to get my COVID booster, and reading pro-vaccine books, he's still very much controlled by the influence of his parents. 
I've expressed to him that it hurts me and worries me for conflicts in the future, like vaccinating potential children. I'm trying to balance encouraging him and giving him time to work through 25 years of conditioning, for lack of a better word, while also setting realistic boundaries and expectations for myself and coming to terms with the fact that if he isn't able or willing to work through this in a reasonable amount of time, this is a deal breaker for me. Any advice would be appreciated. Why did you pick this one? I picked it because I imagine that people are having these kinds of conversations and and I think that they're having them to different extremes. I you know, I know of couples where everyone's vaccinated but they have very different levels of comfortability in terms of what they're willing to go do in this COVID world. In another version of life, this issue between the two of them might not have come up until they were already married and had kids or you know and, right. and were trying to vaccinate the kids or right. might not have ever been as blatant of a difference between them without this pandemic looming over all of us. But I also think it's so interesting because our listeners are so smart. Yeah. <laughs> and like reading this, I was like, well, where where's the room for advice? Because you're doing everything right. <laughs> I know. And so that was also kind of interesting of like, even when we are taking a really balanced perspective on something, even when like what we're implementing is like what someone else might advise us to do, you can still feel like, I don't know what to do. Am I doing the right thing? If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also think, you know, from his perspective, family conditioning is a lot. It is Mm -hmm. very, very hard to break out of. It is very, very hard when you're in a family system that operates a certain way and you choose to step outside the way that it operates there's a risk that the system might fall apart. And so the people in the system close ranks around it. You know, something interesting that my therapist was talking to me about was because my parents have a little bit of a difficult time with Mal sometimes because not because of Mal as a person, but because they want to have control. And then when I side with Mal on something, they're a little bit confused. And my therapist was saying, They think that it's not your decision, Gabby, because they make the decisions for you. And if they're not making the decision, then they don't think that you can. And they think someone else, someone else must be. So when you fail to fall into your place in the family system, they think you must be doing that somewhere else, which was really eye opening for me. And so I think like for him, right, like if he wants to come to this conclusion on his own, and go against everything that his nuclear family has taught him or done, it's really hard because there's a risk of being ostracized from what you know and being like seen now as like a, an outlier or an outsider or someone who's against them rather than just someone who's like doing their own thing. And, you know, with vaccination, it's become such a moral judgment. It's become such a, a thing of like, are you an ethical person or not? So if somebody gets vaccinated and you're not vaccinated, even if they're not saying so, it seems like they're saying I'm better than you. And like, you know, for people who are anti-vax, I think it makes them defensive because it's like the media has and, and politicians and like, you know, people who create like a binary political system, they've twisted it so that this like medical scientific thing is an indication of what side you're on, you know, which then it's like you siding against your family. So I understand that it's really hard. I also think there's a lot of fear involved in Western medicine. So, 
you know, you talked about how he's really into alternative medicine. And I think there's a lot of fear mongering that has probably been ingrained in him about like there's chemicals and all this stuff and it's not natural and this is poison or whatever. And that's like really, really scary. I mean, putting anything in your body is scary. If you believe in the science, then it's like, you know, you're still being like, well, I'll be sick for a couple of days and then I'll be better and, and I'll be inoculated. But like if you're in your mind being like, this is poison, this is like, you know, not natural. This is my body could do this naturally or whatever. It's really hard to get over that anxiety. I don't know. It's interesting. I have a friend whose family is quite religious and she's had multiple family members pass away because they refuse modern medicine Mm. and they believe that Jesus will take care of them. To me, I would say, didn't God make people able to make medicine? Oh, I never thought of it that way. (laughs) Am I crazy? Why would God make people able to make medicine if he didn't want you to take it? (laughs) I think it's really beautiful that you are understanding where he is coming from and that you're not letting this like very strict divide happen where emotional, emotional, judgmental, and that you understand where he is coming from. And that you understand why he is the way that he is and that the journey he's going through is is tough and and that you are seem to be acknowledging and grateful for the, the work that he is doing. And then I also think you're making the right decision in that we all have our own deal breakers. My deal breakers are different than your deal breakers are different than Melissa's deal breakers, you know, like. We and and something that happens in relationships is you might not really know what your deal breaker is until it comes up. I think it is really kind of nice that you have the clarity that this is a deal breaker for you. And I think that that's valid and fine. We're all allowed to define our own deal breakers. I guess the murkiness now is is that timeline, right? Of like, how much time are you willing to give him to get to where you're at with how you view the world and vaccines? Well, also... Have you asked him if if his fear extends to children? Mm-hmm. It might just be that he's worried about himself. But like this is the other thing, right, is that the vaccines that have been available for children to go to school and, uh, you know, for all this kind of stuff, let's take COVID out of it. Those are I mean, unless there's you're up someone who's super anti-vaxxer who thinks that vaccines cause autism, which is also a whole nother thing, because whatever, it's ableist. But If you're like, of course, I would give my child the measles vaccine like that's a vaccine that's been studied for years. Of course, I would get a flu vaccine. That's a vaccine that we know, you know, works and has been studied for years. My only fear is the covid vaccine because it's so new. Like that's a different conversation, you know. Well, I think they said in the email that the family does what's necessary in order to go to school. And that's I'm saying for him, for children, like ask him, ask him where he's at with kids. You know, that might be different. Yeah. It's really hard to be in a relationship with somebody who shares your values. (laughs) Like, even if you are very similar, it's already really hard to be in a relationship. But then to be in a relationship where you where you have such different values or point of view about something that does impact your life in a big way. You know, like, I think you're doing all the right things that that you're prioritizing this, that he's trying to get there, that you know, you're seeing what happens, but that you also know like that there's a boundary for you and that like in terms of you picking your life partner, you might need somebody who, especially if you work in the healthcare industry, values and believes in vaccines and that's fine. But I think it's also really wonderful that you're giving him this opportunity to get there 
instead of just like, oh, you're not where I am immediately. Goodbye. Yeah. Or like we differ on this one thing. So goodbye. And let's not because I think there has been this divide created that is like really unnecessary. And it might not even like, again, take COVID out of it. Like if he just comes from a family that is like very wary of Western medicine and that is very scared of vaccines, like that is something that he will have to study to reverse. You're right. 25 years of conditioning. You know, it also speaks to what will it look like if you do commit to this person long term, you know, like, are you two building a new family together where you're mm-hmm. creating your own points of view and rules and systems or or is the priority more his family of origin? And again, at 25 and at any age, it's really hard to separate yourself from your family of origin, especially if you've grown up really close to them. But I do think that this is really an interesting case, right? Of like, it will probably be enlightening about how things will go in the future. What is the dominant dyad is it you and him or is it him and his parents or not dyad but like what is the dominant team yeah 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 and are you both how do you handle conflict are you both willing to learn you know you're you're watching what he does with conflict right now which seems good yeah so i think it's a very revealing time it's also a very uncertain time and then i think Mm. you just have to maybe in your head give yourself a sort of marker of like in five months i'm gonna check in with myself and check in Mm -hmm. with him about where we're at I can't think about this every day, all day. I can't every Mm -hmm. single day be on a crusade with him to get the vaccine. But I'm going to give him some time and some space and then I will check back in. And maybe it will have resolved itself by then, but then I will check back in uh, at this time. And if things are the same, then maybe I have to make a tough decision. Well, I hope that helped. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Kayla Weisbuck. Stay tuned. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Kayla Weisbuck, the co-founder and executive director of Camp Brave Trails, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to LGBTQ plus youth leadership. They offer accredited summer camps, family camps, mentorship programs, meetup groups and year round leadership programming. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Basically, I wanted to have you on because there has been just an ongoing attack on queer youth. Mm. And I'm sure many of our listeners are very fully aware of this. So, but can you talk a little bit about what Camp Brave Trails is? Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, we started out as really a sort of passion project. And when we first started out, it was very much like, okay, we're going to have just a few kids. We're going to have this incredible summer camp experience, but sort of flip a lot of the narratives on their head in order to really be affirming and welcoming to LGBTQ youth, which unfortunately camp spaces are often not that. And so over the years, we've really evolved where our residential summer camp programs are the heart of our program. But we've evolved to have a mental health program, a family camp program where we have LGBTQ parents and their children, because that is also a big area of 
need for our community. Um, there's just not a lot of resources for bringing uh, LGBTQ families together. We also do year-round programming and all sorts of other fun stuff. So it has grown and evolved so much over the years, and we are hoping to grow and evolve even more just to keep meeting the needs of, of our community. So what do you mean by a camp for LGBTQ youth? Like what specifically was the, the need for that? I am a very like story driven person. So Go I'll sort it. of tell our like our origin story. Um, but my wife and I, so we're the co-founders of Camp Brave Trails and we met doing work at a local LGBT center. And we had the pleasure of being able to go into schools, into youth groups around Los Angeles and do a lot of like storytelling and narrative and um, 101, like LGBTQ various like 101 type classes. And something that we kept hearing is that in the words of a youth that I spoke to, there was a lot of spaces to cry about being queer and to be sad about being queer, but there really weren't any spaces, unfortunately, outside of like adult oriented bar spaces or like pride, which unfortunately also often very adult oriented. Not to say that that isn't also important, but when we're talking about youth, there just weren't a lot of spaces for, for joy and celebration and opportunities for leadership. And we noticed that queer youth have so much incredible natural resiliency and um, all of these things that are often deemed, for lack of a better word, not good. And that is actually like the beauty and the power of our community is how we redefine things and how much we're in sort of a renaissance as a community. And so basically my wife and I, she brings, uh, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I grew up in summer camp from the time I was eight all the way up to being a counselor later in life. So really, it's sort of a merge of our loves, of my wife's love of um, empowerment and queer youth leadership and my love of summer camp and the way that those two sort of came together, made this gorgeous, ripe, like, microcosm for all these cool things that we could try um, and all these narratives that we could redefine. Yeah. I went to summer camp also from age eight onward. I went to Jewish summer camp and then I did United Synagogue Youth, which is like a, a youth leadership group like Jewish, you know, and I just was thinking about how amazing it would have been to have a queer version of all of that. And like it seems so obvious it's not normalized or mainstreamed, but I guess it's like. One of the things with your camp is it that a lot of the kids have to be young and out, like both of those things together. So we've done a lot of work and a lot of thought around that because so many of our youth are not out. And so we always intentionally include the word ally in our marketing materials, on our website. And a lot of our youth do come as allies because we do have a robust leadership specific training program. And that is transferable across all identities, especially when it comes to like social justice. So a lot of our kids do say like, hey, parent or guardian, I found this place. It's really cool. It's a leadership camp. I'm an ally. I have friends that are going um, and they're able to attend that way. And then when they get to camp, they use whatever name pronoun they would like to use. And we are very specific of never asking those things in front of the parent. We have campers that change their name and pronoun every day at camp. Uh, so we're very intentional about that. But it's always just out in the sense of like, you know, being LGB mostly. But it's also being, you know, maybe they're out as a lesbian, but they're not out as being trans. Right. And so there's so it's so multi-layered and it's evolving. Every year we learn so much and, and we're able to, you know, form to what the youth need. 
one of the things about camp, at least traditional camps, is it is very gendered, right? Like the traditional style where there's like boys bunks, girls mm-hmm. bunks, separate activities, not allowed in each other's areas. So how how does your camp look different? It's one of the most fun parts of our program is we just took gender and we threw it out the window. (laughs) But yeah, we do all of our housing by age. Mm. Uh, So there'll be in age groups. And we just pair counselors together by two people who work really well together and balance each other out. So nothing is gendered. Yeah. And campers choose their activity is actually pretty neat. Everybody wears a name tag at camp, um, and we ask that they t- uh, keep that name tag on throughout the duration of the session. But it's sort of an insert-based name tag so that campers can just swap out their insert um, as much or as little as they'd like. We have tons of extra inserts all over camp. And like I said, campers take advantage of that and staff members, too. Yeah, I saw in the video that you guys sent, which was like I was going to cry, which was a <laughs> montage of things at camp. You know, you saw people doing makeup lessons or archery or all these kind of different things like that were just it didn't all kinds of people were at all kinds of events. Okay, so there's this thing, right, that's like they can't possibly know at that age. They can't Mm. possibly know. And even like the the sort of pushback on. Let's even start with like, you can't possibly know that you're gay or a lesbian or bisexual. Let's just stick with sexuality at first. So how do you like push back on that? Oh, well, first of all, I just like to say that the amount of emails I get from parents that are like, I have a three, four, five, six, seven year old and they know. And, you know, again, insert narrative here. But I know that that always isn't enough for people. But, you know, in the same way that, you know, you walk down the aisles at Target or Walmart, wherever you you shop and there's the shirts that say like, I don't know, some very heteronormative thing. Like, yeah, it's like a shirt on a on for like a baby boy. That's like, Keep the girls away or heartbreak. Yeah, I'm going to break your daughter's heart or, you know, whatever. In the same way that the person who made that shirt was so sure that that was going to resonate with so many people, that is the same level of sureness that, like, Mm -hmm. these children and these parents, that's their experience, too. Yeah, I just think anytime we're policing anybody's personal experience, we're we're headed in the wrong direction. But these campers or these young people are very sure. And sadly, there isn't a lot for for younger people. And there is so much scrutiny as, you know, we see what's happening now in Texas and in Florida and Utah with sports and, and all of these other unfortunate legal attacks that are happening on LGBTQ young people and especially trans and gender nonconforming young people. It's heartbreaking and it's and it's terrifying, especially for parents. And now parents are are being targeted as well for being supportive. And so I think we could go on about that for a very long no, time. No, of course. How young is the youngest kid that's there? Primarily, our program is designed for as young as 12. We do sometimes have 11 year olds at camp who are just, you know, a little bit more mature, a little bit more ready to be in a space that's designed for 12 to 18 year olds. So Mm-hmm. That's a broad range, but also a lot of queer youth um, do experience, you know, various types of like adolescent delay because they aren't allowed to be who they are. They aren't allowed to do a lot of the things that other teenagers feel comfortable doing. And so sometimes we have 12 year olds that are more emotionally mature than our 18 year olds. It's really about maturity more than like chronological age we've found. 
That's what I love about queerness is that, and I think Jack Halberstam said this at first, but it doesn't exist on a linear timeline. Like you can Mm. have someone who figures out who they are at 45 and they're a kid, you know, versus like someone who is 12, who's been on hormones for since they were seven, you know, and they're like a little bit more aware of their own self versus, you know, someone who came out later in life or something like that. Like, that's what's so beautiful about it is like, it doesn't, it doesn't exist on the same timeline as like normal childhood to adulthood to old age does. Oh yeah. And so that's why I wanted to ask about how young the kids are because 12 was when I knew, like I knew that I was bisexual at 12, took took me a little longer to get to non-binary, but how important is it for these people once they, because I felt incredibly lonely. So how important is it for these kids once they're, you know, it, at, at that place to like meet and be around other people who their age who are queer and also to see queer adults, which is something I never saw a queer adult till I was, I don't know, 18. Yeah. Um, And that narrative is so common at camp. And I say this all the time because it's so funny, you know, when we're going after grants or, you know, various things like that, they always focus on like, okay, so what kind of programs do you do? And it's like archery, theater, drag, you know, like you said, makeup, fashion, all kinds of stuff like that, sports. And that's so wonderful. But those are all vessels for exactly what you're saying. Those small moments that are not small, but like the moments that people don't often think about, because at the end of camp, and this gets me every year, I'm like in tears already thinking about it. But the most impactful thing we hear is, you know, especially from our trans and gender nonconforming campers, like this was the first time I met a trans person that like lived to be over like a teenager or over 20. Oh my God, like, I'm going to start crying. It's unreal. And and this is the beauty of our space as well. Like we do have, we do intentionally hire folks that are a little bit older. Even we've had seniors. One year we had a senior, he was 65, I believe. He was a trans man. Absolutely love him. Totally adore him. But, and this is where this story comes from. But I, I walked in on a group of trans teens that were all crying. And I'm like, what's going on? Is everybody okay? And it was a joyful cry. But I'm like, that's a lot of you crying in one room together. And they're like, we were just thinking of Santier. And like, this was the first, like, I I never even thought about becoming a senior before and about like, that I could have that, that I could have a partner. And, you know, yeah, there's this narrative that like, trans and non-binary people just started popping up as a trend 10 years ago. Like, It's so not true. There are older trans people. There are people who were trans like as far back as time immemorial. And Mm. that is so important for these kids to know. And even like when I was a kid, I I didn't know any queer adults. So I assumed you died. I saw rent and I was like, I guess you died. I had no base of knowledge. So in order to see queer adults thriving or to even I didn't meet a trans person knowingly, I don't know, till I was like 25. Like it's. Mm hard seeing the the older or the counselors or that kind of thing but also like how important is it that they're hanging out with each other oh so incredibly important oh, gosh and i just think of like even now in the last two years like isolate i mean isolation before covid was unreal and the effects of isolation on mental health on physical health on on everything And it's the most like glorious and beautiful thing to see queer joy and to see queer people just come together and be so happy and so embraced. And you're not the only one in your friend group. You're not the only one. You're not like the one kid at at, in your school. You're not. It's hard to even put into words what happens because it's so it's magic. 
and we call it magic, but it's, you know, there's a reason why so many kids like call camp home and so many adults too, because, you know, home is where you're supposed to be able to like fall into yourself and relax and lean into love. And they're able to do that at camp in a way that they can't in a lot of other places because people just don't get it. And to have to walk around with your guard up all the time, I mean, fighting for restrooms, fighting for basic, basic things, your name, to have your pronouns affirmed and to not have to do that for once in your life. The things that happen when that brain space is not taken up is like it's something else. I'm crying again. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, no, that's me all day at camp. Like, this is why we tote hydration so much. Uh. Yes, it's the elevation, but it's also it's the crying. (laughs) Oh, my God. I know you mentioned that you do mental health programs throughout the year. Is mental health also incorporated just into the camp experience itself? It's more the like the hidden curriculum rather than like we don't say that we're a mental health program at camp. But what you'll find at camp is a very uh, a space that's very open about mental health. Campers and staff members are not afraid to talk about various mental health struggles, various diagnosis, various experiences they've had, because it's brutal out there. <laughs> and to be able to share their experiences about being in the mental health and, and medical field and navigating that together for better or for worse is, is really, really powerful. So, so it's not necessarily you know, the mission of our camp specific program. Um, But we do do a lot of like in our leadership workshops, you will find like various like stress management, um, talking about anxiety, depression, talking about stigma, stuff like that. Uh, But those are all choose your own adventure. So campers can attend those or not. If they need that and want that, they can find that at camp. You've kind of touched on this, but what are some of the programming that is unique to your camp that either is in the leadership side or the LGBTQ plus side? On the more like quintessential campy side, we do a lot of the like similar things that you'll find at other camps, like I said, archery, but it's always has a a queer twist. So it's like (laughs) archery, but most everybody is dressed up in some sort of drag or costume (laughs) (laughs) or we'll have arts and crafts, but they're making like candles to honor queer people throughout history that they maybe didn't know about or that bring them strength so that they can take it home and, and do that. Or it'll be like outdoor education with a focus on like environmentalism and how it affects indigenous communities or queer communities or low income communities. So we always try to like squeeze the lemon a little bit harder, like I said, like it's never for face value. There's always just a little bit more going on. And then we have the, you know, cool stuff to honor our culture, like drag and various types of fashion design. We have sports is a really interesting place at camp, too, because oftentimes sports is very loaded for LGBTQ youth. And so we have a really hard time getting campers to sign up for sports. But whenever a lead is able to just sort of, again, redo the narrative and tell their story as to why sports is important to them and what sports and moving your body can mean for you as a queer person and how it can be done in a way that's affirming. It's like, oh my God, it's so beautiful and totally like it's unreal. Choir too. We did a choir program this past year and kids were nervous because they're like, my voice changed. And you know, when they went on Hormone therapy. Hormones, and, their voice changed. Yeah. yeah. And so they got really nervous. Um, but we had a trans choir teacher and they were able to like make the most beautiful choir. Pro- Again, I could not. I, I stopped going on rounds every day to that program because I like I, I have too much to do to lose it today. <laughs> Um, It's the most beautiful thing. I'm like, I'll just see it at the showcase at the end of camp. (laughs) Y'all got it. This is beautiful. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the more like heady side of things, we 
do various uh, types of leadership workshops. So, you know, we were talking about history earlier. We have queer history, which is extraordinarily important. It's amazing how many young people don't know about the AIDS crisis and don't know about like, you know, a lot of indigenous and ancient queer history that is so important because then we know that we've always been here and these narratives have always been here. We also do like things like sexual health, which it's hard to find good sex education in regular school for anybody. But when you're talking about queer bodies, if we want to lower the risk of of various health concerns that, you know, often plague our community, we need to start with young people. And so we we offer things like that, but also like public speaking on the more wholesome side, (laughs) Um, (laughs) public speaking and going for your first job, uh, knowing your rights as an LGBTQ youth, intersectionality, how race and gender. It's like, it's so endless. It's very cool. It's stuff they're probably missing in their everyday life, which is great. That's always the key is like, hey, what are they not getting? Or what are they trying to get in spaces that are not safe? You know, Mm -hmm. online communities can be super, super life-saving and incredible, but they can also be harmful. And so again, just giving them tools to navigate, mentors to continue to connect with, that's the that's the goal. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. Just between us. And we're back. I'm curious your experience with parents. Is every parent who even contacts you with interest of sending their kid, do you find them to be relatively accepting just in that fact that they reached out or have you had some parents where like once they learn more about what you do there's a lot of pushback and resistance talk about a spectrum Um, (laughs) there is a spectrum of parents Uh, we have parents that are just like oh man as the kids say like hashtag goals like just so supportive and so wonderful and then we have parents that call because we get campers from all over the world and all over the country and you know who call and Literally, I I had a call from a parent that just she just said, is this a camp for like people like that and for that thing? And those people like couldn't even Ah. say the the words. And so, yeah, the spectrum is large. But one of the most beautiful things that I I have to tell this story about this parent because it makes me so happy. But um, that camper ended up coming to camp for like three or four years before they aged out. And I got to speak with this parent every single time, every year, right before camp. And to see her evolution was absolutely incredible as well. Like, would not say, but then was like the next year used the camper's correct name and pronoun. And then the next year was like actually able to say the word trans. Like, it's like, it's small, (laughs) but it was so, it's like, ugh, you got to catch those moments because it's amazing to see when the kids come back home and they're able to feel more secure in themselves and, and to see how that rubs off on family members as well. Yeah, you see your kid happy. So, you know, you touched a little bit on sports, and this is such a, a hot topic that drives me nuts. But can you talk about the effects? Because you were saying it makes, you know, kids not want to play sports. And like, can you like talk a little bit about the effects of like transness and sports and what this is doing to kids, what message it's sending? Yeah. So just want to name, I am not a trans person. So like, I'm not speaking from my experience here, but I am just speaking from things that I've heard from my campers and staff. I am, but I hate sports. <laughs> yeah, no, also not a fan. 
<laughs> but I find the narratives very similar to the camp industry in general. It's like already you're putting so many blocks by gendering the program. So there's block number one. And then when you get through, you know, people want to know what's between your legs and your biology and blah, blah, blah. And oh, man, it's so invasive and it's so horrible and it's so damaging. And it's just so counterproductive to the point of sports, which is supposed to be like fulfillment and joy and team and like, you know, and so it's these spaces that say that they want to be inclusive and they want to, you know, they want the spaces to change, but they don't want to actually put any of the work in to make that happen. And and the work would actually just be to like, I don't know if we're allowed to curse, but like, just shut the fuck up. So. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> no, totally. I mean, the thing that that it becomes this slippery slope I've seen where suddenly even cis people are, you know, in sports, they're like, we need to test your testosterone and we mm. need to make sure. And like, are you trans and like, are you intersex? And like, it just becomes this like focus on the body, even more so like the genitalia of the person doing the sport, which like is is not a thing. Sometimes, you know, it's interesting with trans visibility. It's like this double edged sword where like trans trans visibility allows for trans kids to come to your camp. It allows for people to have role models. But then at the same time, it's like trans people from other friends of mine who are older, like trans people existed and like nobody bothered them for a little while because nobody knew it existed. Nobody thought, you know, like, so like, it's this like weird double-edged sword where like, Mm. like there could have been a trans swimmer and nobody would have known. And now all of a sudden there's like a trans swimmer and it's the biggest headline ever. And like, it has nothing to do with, you know, this person's, character their work ethic. character yeah. work ethic yeah like, all of the things that go into being a like absolutely incredible athlete <laughs> yeah and like you know and then it's the the twist of let's say the racial or genderized element of like before any of this trans sports stuff was in the news the way people spoke about the williams sisters and were mm. like saying that they were men and this kind like it has this bleed over to cis people that like whatever like we don't need to be like cis people. This affects you. But like it does. So I feel like there's this like missing. There's this element that they don't realize that transphobes don't realize the slippery slope that then will start to affect. them. Yeah. And I think for me, like it always comes back to like anytime there's a binary, there should be a big ass red flag. Like, Mm-hmm. Sorry, like just I, and you can see it in sports. Like, what are we defining? I I could show you pictures of genitalia and hundreds and thousands of pictures and they will all look absolutely different. They're right. all going to have different shapes, sizes, colors, formations. And so it's like anytime we're trying to put things into a binary, it doesn't exist. A binary, it's made yeah. up. They're all made up. So when you're talking about hormone levels, testosterone, blah, 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 genitalia, like People don't want to listen to the facts because binaries are comfortable and they're good for lots of things that unfortunately usually play into capitalism and white supremacy and and all of that fucked up shit that we could talk about for ever. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just realizing, yeah, anytime there's a binary, there should just be like that screeching car sound (laughs) (laughs) because it's it's already going to not work. It's already going to harm people and it's already, yeah, Yeah. it's going to work for a very small subsect of people. And it's going to be extraordinarily harmful for many others. I mean, even with bathroom stuff, right? It's like I had a a person I was dating who identified as female at the time. 
but they looked quite masculine and they were kicked out of a women's room. And it's like, once you start with this nitpicking, it transfers to all this kind of stuff where you're like, okay, so do you do you want someone who looks like a, a binary man in the women's restroom? No, you don't want that. Like, it's this kind of thing that I don't think is being thought through entirely. Yeah. And is just like fear based. And when you're around all that fear, it must be like going to your camp, especially as a trans or gender nonconforming person. It must be such a relief to all of a sudden the fear the fear drops off the like background. It's like turning off the background noise. There's nothing I love more than like stomping through because we, you know, we, we go to the site before the kids get there to set up and do stuff and just like slapping like genderless bathroom right over the bathroom. It's like, (laughs) oh, it's like, if I have my AirPods on, some good ass music, some like early 2000s emo punk, and I just am like slapping these genderless signs. It's, it is a good day. It is a really good day. But yeah, again, it's, it's binary and the length at which people will go to protect the binary. And, you know, when you're talking about ba- bathrooms, it's fear, right? It's like inserting fear. And uh, it's just. I love our little like a little microcosm. We don't call it a utopia on purpose. I know. Yeah, but we call it a microcosm. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, so I don't know if you know about a camp, which was this auto straddle thing that this auto straddle dot com yeah, used I've to heard. do, which was mm-hmm. like an adult version of Camp Brave Trails. Yeah. But it's sort of heartbreaking sometimes because you enter this space where you're like, why can't the whole world be like this? And then like so many things happened for me that were so emotional where I like realized that beauty standards were bullshit and that so many people were so hot and attractive in like ways that I felt I was like, I almost started feeling bad for cishet people. No offense, Allison, uh, where I was like, their worlds are so small in general. But I was like, the the whole world could be like this. And then what was really great to realize because I was so sad leaving a camp being like, you know, the whole world can't be like this. But what was beautiful was like, wait a minute, like I'm an adult. Yes, it can. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm an adult. And then my like entire friend group situations I put myself in, where mm. I went, what my hobbies were, all of it changed yeah. to like reflect basically the world that I had thought because I grew up in a cishet society was like, you know, like, like you said, a utopia. I was like, oh, this is a utopia. And then you go, no, it's not. You can just make it. And you know what? It's not a utopia because people break up. Bad things happen. Like, I hope that a lot of the kids that you work with, I hope that they, as they get older, they realize, you know, this is something that you can seek out and can be your everyday. Yes. uh, We, especially in our first couple of years as staff, as the people putting it on, and you can imagine also the kids, but that was a huge thing. It's like, holy heck, that fall after camp is steep. It's really, really tough. And so we started to to come up with things. And I actually, we actually had a, a junior counselor come up with this phrase called make it like camp. And we say it every year. We've said it every year since. Um, but it's all about making the world more like camp in whatever way, because we often we find our youth getting caught up as well and like must break system and we're like yes and you have to do that with steps but make it like camp yeah we really had to reframe for ourselves and for the campers that 
if we're doing it right, camp is a launching pad for like the rocket that's about to take off within each of you and make and like all of these subsequent steps that are going to come um, after. And this will be a place for you to come back to, to have friends, to have mentors, to laugh with and cry with and, and to go through that experience with that community aspect is is vital. But like ultimately that's that's the mission and the goal of the program and that's why we stopped calling it a utopia because the kids did they would call it a utopia all the time and we started calling it a microcosm but also to like acknowledge the fact that we are far from perfect as a space and we are ever evolving you know we have things that we work on all the time and that we need to improve and we need to grow with and if we like name us as a utopia then there's no space for that growth and we want that for our campers and staff members as well to always be like questioning and growing and evolving because that's when we can get into problems even inter within our community yeah the romantization of you know and i'm guilty of this where i used to be like sort of play this stereotype that like my relationships with men were worse than my relationships with women because they were men. And then it's kind of like, oh, actually, no, like anybody can be a piece of shit, (laughs) you know? So yeah, you're not absolved because you're queer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Although it definitely, but I, but I get what you're saying and I like resonated. (laughs) We're all, we're all all just in a microcosm here, (laughs) but I resonated so much with what you're saying with like a camp because even on a personal, like I'm, a fat curvy girl and it took me so long to own that and that is something that happened at camp that the campers taught me like they requested a fat phobia workshop and I sat in on it and it blew my mind first of all the teens are fine like they're (laughs) what they know it's unreal it's absolutely unreal but it's like yeah and even after that workshop you know as a staff we so deeply process that and process fat phobia and like the way that we see the world now the way I see the world now is so different and like you said it's like loving yourself and being attracted to you know various types of body it's yeah whew, to decolonize your mind is like <laughs> exactly it's such a journey a full-time job <laughs> such a journey exactly full-time job yeah thank you teens <laughs> oh. <laughs> Honestly, similarly on Just Between Us, thank you, teens. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of all. <laughs> I'm curious if it's really hard. You kind of acknowledge this to go back to the real world after camp. Are there resources available for the kids kind of year round so that it's not just like, oh, I hate my life 10 months out of the year and only like it two months out of the year? We do lots of year round programming. And again, thankfully, we are able to pick that back up now that. COVID is it's sort of fizzling out just this, you know, even a sliver. A smidge. Yeah, we're able to do at least outdoor activities. But we did transition to online programming for a long time. And we're just starting to bring back some of our in-person programming, like our yearly reunion. And we also just started a, a mental health program, which was an initiative that came out of camp and just seeing one, the absolute lack of competent therapists that can treat LGBTQ youth and like really understand and truly understand and the family support too so the mental health program has a family and parent side to it that we do groups with and a youth side that we do groups and individual therapy with so those are some of the ongoing supports but we do talk a lot about resources and various things at our workshops and programs and stuff like that but it's never enough sadly you know it's just even even the most that we have the capacity for is still sorely never enough have you had a lot of 
former campers or current campers reaching out about these horrible legislations that are passing in Florida and Texas? How has that sort of changed, you know, the atmosphere? Yeah, there's a lot of just grief. And I think it's something that we want to teach our campers to do is you have to grieve. You have to grieve these things and you have to feel them because I think it's really easy for, you know, people to see us in celebration at like pride events and stuff like that. But Uh there's a lot of grief that comes with it and the beautiful ways in which our campers choose to grieve together. You know, when they do email us, it's not just like a rant. It's like, we need to create a space. We need to, we need a game night this week. So we're doing a game night this week. You know, we needed, my parents are having trouble with this. So we did, yesterday we did a parent discussion group. So it's just like trying to create more spaces to be together. And it makes me so incredibly proud that they want to grieve in community because that is so, that's what's important. It's when we grieve in isolation, which is also, that's a process and that's important. But you've got to grieve in community too. I'm crying again. No, it's because <laughs> it's been increasing and that is so scary and also thankfully we have a lot of powerful incredible people that are fighting back and that are putting resources and that's why we need to just continue to have these conversations and the more and more you know I'm in this work the more I realize that never underestimate like the power of that dinner time conversation or that around the couch time conversation like that is no you know less important than donating money like keep talking about this stuff just reminding me this past week it's so timely too and also like this past week I was watching Drag Race UK versus the world and this (laughs) queen well first of all four queens on season 14 are trans Which is incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. Out on the show, which like used to not be thing. Amazing. And then on UK versus the world, one of the queens, Blue Hydrangea, was talking about not being sure of gender. So not just coming out as trans, but like talking about not being sure and like thinking maybe they were trans, thinking maybe they're neither male nor female. They don't know. And I was like sitting watching it with my parents because I was home. My parents are not homophobic at all. Very liberal, very leftist, blah, blah, blah cannot nail the pronouns just Mm. can't can't get it and so like I was watching that with them and I didn't have to say anything I'm just sitting there and I'm like I'm just gonna let blue (laughs) take this one (laughs) yes and it was like that's the importance right yeah I don't have to say anything I just have to afterwards go well that was interesting (laughs) yeah and now we're doing that for the littles right the littles that are being targeted right now we talk about that so much at camp amongst staff but like queer eldership and how because of you know aids and um a lot of other terrible things that have happened to our community there aren't as many i know we don't have elders we have very few elders we have lost an entire generation right and so it's on us 20, 30, 40 year olds to be elders to this next generation. It's the most like sobering thing. We do a lot of work around that and around, you know, what that means for us as individuals, but also as the kids. But, you know, and that's exactly what it is, is like we have to keep having these conversations. And unlike our, our youngins that have sort of that more delayed experience, we almost are shot into this like this eldership role that we're not even entirely ready for. And I think that's something we don't talk about enough. But and it's for that exact reason, because, you know, in eldership, that's where those conversations happen and where that modeling happens. And that was such a beautiful moment for you and your parents. And I'm glad that you had it. We'll see if it changes anything. Hey, even, you know, point of a point of a point of a percent is progress. Yeah. But I know how like frustrating that can be. I hear that deeply. Well, I feel like an asshole, but do you want to play a game show? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, please, lighten the mood. Lighten the mood, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And um, I pick my my favorite answer. So incredibly biased, uh, very binary. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a competition. Very binary. <laughs> oh, binary. I'm out. I know. Bye. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. I'm comfortable winning and I'm comfortable eating crap. So it's fine. <laughs> okay. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of five years is extremely gullible. One night, you throw them a big birthday party with a bunch of friends, and one of your friends makes a move on your partner in private. When your partner tells the friend to stop because they're with you, the friend announces that you said it was okay if they slept together as a birthday gift. Would you stay with this cheater who believed them? First of all, my current partner is incredibly gullible. So gullible. And I, I, with a straight face, spent like like hours convincing them that the quarter wasn't invented till 1975. <laughs> For no reason other than something I like to call small mischief. <laughs> so I, you know, this is something I feel may come up. <laughs> and, and they kept being like, why are you doing this to me? But then I was like, I'm not doing anything to you. And then they were like, why didn't they just Google it? We were on the beach. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I got to say, I'm going to say I'll stay. You know, that's my fault. I should have clarified before the birthday party. Don't believe anything anyone tells you. <laughs> Excellent. I'm on the flip end. I'm going to say leave. And, and trust for me, I'm never going to judge anybody's relationship. But there's got to be a lot more understanding and communication before. I feel on my end, this is my fault because I do participate in pranking Mal all the time. Yeah, you really, you said, yep. I can see how (laughs) how you would fall on that sword, 100%. (laughs) Our elderly neighbor that we're friends with and that Mal, I would say Mal is best friends with, is like very, uh, a very harsh Austrian woman and she's constantly like, Mal, you are so gullible and forgetful. (laughs) Love that. You wouldn't be like, why didn't they check with me? I'm in the same building. Yeah, I would. <laughs> but but like, you know, what are you going to do? There's a high probability that Mal would be like to ask me and then I would just be like, go along with the prank. Like that I would just be like, yeah. You'd be like, oh, shit, I forgot to get you a gift. Yeah, no, this is the gift. <laughs> Congrats. One time on Valentine's Day, I got Mal a big delivery of balloons and they got brought to the house. And then Ma- the girl who delivered the balloons just happened to be really hot. And so Mal was like, when they brought the balloons in, Mal was like, I got confused for a second because I thought maybe the girl was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? And Mal was like, the, the girl who delivered the balloons was really hot. And I was like, yeah, I didn't request that. <laughs> <laughs> she just... Her her job is just balloon delivery person. I didn't say make sure she's hot. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Okay, so our next game is, is this a date? You are in physical therapy after a shoulder injury and have been seeing the same physical therapist for two months. One day, you ask if you are finally in good enough shape to play tennis again. They say that the two of you should play together sometime in the next week to find out and invite you to their private tennis club. Is this a date? Yes. Private tennis club? 
Absolutely. 100%. Maybe they're just really good at their job and they, they don't want you to play without them in case you get hurt. I want to go to a private tennis club. I don't think Jews were allowed in those <laughs> until pretty recently. <laughs> There's big appeal. I would love to attend. <laughs> Allison hates it. Yeah. Also, just to bring in the queer <laughs> perspective, like the not being able to di- differentiate between like platonic and uh, like. It's, oh, my God. This is just like that's a hate crime at this point. <laughs> like it just <laughs> do not invite yeah. me out. Do not invite any of us out <laughs> without clear boundaries. This is a date fully. <laughs> fully. Actually, I needed also in writing and any <laughs> other form. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Agreed. I hate to break it to you, but they just really love to play tennis. But why do I have to be a part of it? Because they're always looking for somebody to play with. Hmm. I don't know. And then and then a year later, you invite them to your house party for your partner's birthday. And they make. <laughs> <laughs> and they also come with balloons. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. They bring balloons. OK. Our final game. Are you a terrible parent? You have a 10 year old daughter and there is a girl in her class who doesn't have any friends. You ask your daughter if she would be open to inviting this girl over for a play date, and your daughter says she will only do it if she gets paid $20. You agree and just make your daughter promise not to tell the other girl. They have a great play date and end up becoming friends, but your daughter still expects to be paid every time she hangs out with her. Are you a terrible parent? I, in my head, this is like a, a 10 things I hate about you where like then they actually become best friends. Then like they do become best friends. But then like the day that the girl is my daughter's like maid of honor in her wedding, she finds out and then it's like a big drama. Ooh, this is actually really juicy. It is so juicy. Yeah, I just, I never think any for the most part there are things that happen that harm children but like I never want to call a parent terrible but uh, yeah uh, no dishonesty Dishonesty. okay here's the thing what is my daughter using the money for what does she need all that she's like like you know she gets some toys some treats she sometimes she treats her friend (laughs) to the movies on the money okay so here's the thing if she's like taking the friend out for candy and stuff then I think it's fine if she's using it on the friend. Sometimes. She uses it on the friend 20% of the time. Maybe that's just that. That's the hard line. <laughs> yeah. That is the money used for this outing with friend. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, how is that different from like if if me and my friend were babysitting my sister when we were like in middle school and my parents would leave us like 20 bucks for Domino's? You know what I mean? Well, because the friend doesn't know that your daughter is getting paid to hang out with her every time. Right. Oh, my heart with this friend. <laughs> I think what you do is after that first time you say, I'm not paying you again. But if you want to hang out with her, then you can. You made the misstep by letting it keep going. Yeah. And if you want to keep hanging out with her, like if you want to hang out with her, if you want to go to Discovery Zone, like I'll pay. Mm. Mm-hmm. for it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, she gets to do more fun play dates right, with this friend right. than other friends. Right. She's like, me and my other friends just go to the park, but like you and I are like, have been to Disney World like four <laughs> times. Score. Yeah. No, I'd be like, your payment is this new friend. Enjoy. Mm. Friendship is a gift. Friendship was the money we searched for all along. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you so much for joining us. This was such a wonderful conversation. And where can people find out more about you and your camp and all of the programs that you run? Yeah. So um, thank you, by the way. This was super, super awesome. Wonderful conversation. Thank you for all that you do. You can learn about us at bravetrails.org. 
Uh, that's our main site where we have all of our registration and everything for all of our various programs. We are also very active on Instagram and TikTok because uh, that's where the teens hang. Yeah. At Brave Trails. And then Facebook as well for if you're still if you're still hanging on <laughs> Facebook, um, Facebook.com slash Brave Trails. So you can find us on all of those platforms. Amazing. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about boredom. Ugh. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. Melissa, will you please you? Oh you can't God. interrupt Melissa's baby. I'm sorry. You, you, this is like the third or fourth time that you've done it. I didn't know that you were going to say baby. She says it every time. But you always talk over me. I just want to apologize <laughs> to everyone that I talk over. Every guest that we've ever had. Allison, Melissa, anyone who's ever spoken to me in real life. I will talk over you. And I am sorry. And in the past, I've said, well, just talk over me back. What's wrong with you? But I do. I do sometimes now in my mind. Did I tell you guys that before we and I nicely don't stand by it. But every day when I wake up before when we have recording days, I go, Gabby, today's the day you're going to be measured. <laughs> today's the day you're going to come be on the show and you're going to talk in a soft voice. No, and you're going to think about what you're going to say and you're not going to talk over anyone. And then every day I sit down and as soon as we hit record, I'm at an 11. <laughs> I would think something was wrong if you did that. And also I can now adjust how loud you are. So I've just been adjusting it with our app that I we know. use now. So <laughs> I do it live. So it's not loud for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen to me. If you're a listener of this show, I want you to know. Was that with you, Melissa, when we were writing in our notes for the edit? And I was like, hey, I'm like much louder than everyone else. And you were like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that was me. I literally said, I don't think the show is level because of me. Mm -hmm. And I, I listened to the show back and I go, I am screaming. <laughs> I just want to show you. I don't know if you can see, but do you see the levels for everyone? How yours is at half and everybody else is at full? <laughs> Guys, I really promise you that like literally before we record, right before we record, I go today. OK, look, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to say anything crazy and you're going to talk at a normal tone. And then it never happens. But then that wouldn't be you. And then your authentic self would not come across. I also think you have gotten much, much better at not talking over people. I agree. I agree with that as well. I think you made that a goal and I think you have 100 percent accomplished that. Except for when Melissa joins for topics. <laughs> but with guests, absolutely. Night and day, I would say. Oh, thank you. And you know what you got to do? You also have to listen to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of having conversations. <laughs> well, it's really hard. You know, it's really hard to record a podcast remotely. Yeah. It's hard to have two hosts. You know, yeah. I, I also feel like you've gotten a lot better at, at letting me speak sometimes. Yeah. And well, while people are talking in my mind, I go, maybe they're going to say what you're about to add. So just let them keep going so that mm. they'll maybe they'll probably say it. And then uh, like 99 times out of out of 100 that you, they do. You just uh, cut Allison off while she was explaining well, that. Am I perfect? <laughs> am I a role model? 
No. I'm an acquired taste. Hold on. I want to give another speech. Okay. Here we go. Okay. I don't often look at the comments. And sometimes I do. And are a lot of those comments that Allison is giving great advice and is very measured. Yeah. Are a lot of those comments, I wish this show was just Allison. That's not yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, girl. Well, if you're interested, I do have my own podcast. <laughs> Emotional <laughs> support lady on Substack. <laughs> exactly. And guess what? Guess what, haters? This show could just be Allison. No. So don't... So then It would be a different show then. Totally different. Exactly. What I'm bringing... It's spice, it's flavor, it's a different drum beat. It's called levels. You know what I mean? You're losing me a little, but I yeah, I get the vibe. I'm just saying if I'm an acquired taste and if you don't want to be here, don't be here. Okay. I tell people that all the time. What? That you're not being forced to be here. Like <laughs> you don't have to exactly. be here. It is a choice. Yeah. Right. We're not like news anchors on a major network. No. <laughs> We're just and like... even then, you have choices that you yeah. can listen to. <laughs> There's some weird guy who, like, I always love when, like, a hater starts commenting a lot, but it's clear they listen to the show every week. <laughs> just like, speaking of boredom, right? I'm like, why are you so mad, but you listen every week? I guess it's a hate listen. Okay. I don't really do that. I don't really engage in content I, I don't like just to get angry about it. Yeah, you have a finite level of time on this planet. If you want to spend literally an hour and a half listening to us every week and then be upset, like, that's your hobby. Some people just like to feel things, and some mm. people, the feelings that they like are hatred. So maybe they're happy 95% of the time, but they have to listen to this podcast to bring out their hatred. <laughs> and guess what? It's adding to listens. So great. Thank you. We'll take it. <laughs> just don't leave a negative review. Anyway, I don't even know if we need to even cover this topic much after what just happened. I'll just say when I'm bored, my anxiety, it goes off the charts and I start to really struggle and I become my worst self and I fear boredom more than sadness. Anyway, what do we rate this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Can we save boredom from another for another episode? Because I really want to talk about it. Yeah, we'll do boredom part two. Yeah. Okay, we'll do boredom part two. <laughs> Stay tuned for boredom part two. Anyway, wow. I rate this episode 45 out of 44. Me crying and Kayla crying, talking about trans youth. Oh, I did. I wanted to say this. I love when my weeks are kind of like themed. And this week I've been directing an audio book that's on theme for this week's episode and so it's about this non-binary person that transfers into a sixth grade class oh. and then this girl finds out like that she's attracted to the non-binary person and so they're figuring out their own identity and then they also find out that their dad is trans too and they, their dad's wow, been keeping away from novel? me yeah and it's a kid's book which is great wow That's amazing yeah Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's been real interesting and fun I and sad. It. There's a lot of crying, too. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Me and the narrator have been crying during it, but it's a good book. Wow. Yeah. Wow, what a theme. I have my first tea appointment on March 2nd. I don't know when this will come out, but let's, well, you know, we'll see. I said I'm going to have to answer three riddles, and then they'll give me testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> I assume.
<laughs> anyway, what do you rate this episode? <laughs> um, I will rate it 22 out of 19 family influences. Okay. Well, guys, thank you to Kayla Weisbuck for being our guest. It was a really heartfelt conversation. And this is... <laughs> I, we've entered chaos territory, but Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production <laughs> hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Bohm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash justbetweenusshow. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at Emotional Support Lady, at Gabby Road, at BWM Pod, and at She Is Not Melissa. Also, Allison, what's your Substack? My Substack is Emotional Support Lady dot substack dot com baby and I'm patreon dot com slash Gabby Dunn bye bye forever <laughs> dog <laughs>